Chapter 30 of The Romance of Modern Astronomy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Kathy Kay. The Romance of Modern Astronomy by Hector McPherson. Chapter 30 The Romance of Discovery, Galileo and Kepler. While Tycho Brahe rejected the Copernican system in favor of an idea of his own, there were living two men who spread the new theory in Italy and Germany. These men were Giordano Bruno and Michael Maitland. Bruno spread the new theory in Italy and also in England in a more daring manner than Maitland did in Germany, and for refusing to abjure his belief he was burned alive as a heretic at Rome in 1600. Maitland was the tutor of Kepler and informed him of the truth of the system of Copernicus. As yet, however, nobody had proved the truth of the theory, and when it had been rejected by such a great man as Tycho Brahe, it seemed as if it must still remain a theory. It was here that there came into fame the great Italian astronomer who proved that the Copernican theory was true, and who suffered the most cruel persecution at the hands of the Church of Rome. Galileo de Galilee was born at Pisa, in 1564. He was the eldest son of Vincenzo de Bonhuti de Galilee, an Italian nobleman residing at Pisa. At first his father intended him to be a cloth merchant. He was sent to a school in Vallombrosa and made such progress in his studies that his father decided he should adopt the profession of medicine. When he was 17 years of age, Galileo entered the University of Pisa. In a short time he learned mathematics, which he studied with great perseverance, much to the displeasure of his father. Galileo had not been long at the university when he perceived that Aristotle was by no means an infallible guide in scientific affairs, and he was not afraid to ridicule the Aristotelian authority, much to the annoyance of the professor at Pisa. He also devoted himself to painting and music, and for some time intended to become an artist. When he was 21 years of age, Galileo left the university, and four years later he was appointed Professor of Mathematics at Pisa. Here he made his first great attack on the Aristotelians. Aristotle had declared that if two bodies were dropped to the ground from the same height, the heavier would reach the ground before the lighter. Galileo said that both would reach the ground simultaneously. To prove that he was correct, Galileo, in presence of a large number of people, dropped two bodies of unequal weight from the top of the leaning tower of Pisa. Both reached the ground at the same time. This was a triumph for Galileo, but instead of admitting that they had been wrong, the Aristotelians made his professorship at Pisa so unpleasant that he resigned. In 1592 he was appointed Professor of Mathematics at Padua. Here he lectured on scientific subjects with great popular success. In 1602, he invented the thermometer. In a letter to Kepler in 1597, Galileo remarked that he had adopted the Copernican system many years before. At first, he had laughed at the new idea, but he found that while many of the followers of Ptolemy had become Copernicans, no follower of Copernicus had ever adopted the old system. Galileo, however, was forced to teach the Ptolemaic system at the university, keeping his views to himself. But the greatest of Galileo's discoveries had yet to come. Hearing that Lippershey, a Dutch optician of Middleburg, had made an instrument by which 
a man at a distance of two miles could be clearly seen, Galileo at once set about constructing an optic tube, as a telescope was then called, and when he had made one, there was quite a rush to see it. In 1609, he presented a little tube to the Senate at Venice. He then made another and more powerful telescope, the style of which is now known as the Galilean refractor. He was amazed to find that he could see ten times as many stars through the telescope as he could see with the naked eye. He examined the Pleiades, Orion, the cluster Praesepe, and other star clusters. The Milky Way was now resolved into stars. In January 1610, Galileo directed his telescope to Jupiter. He noted three stars near the planet. Next night, to his amazement, he found that the three stars had moved, as well as Jupiter. Some nights later, a fourth was discovered, and Galileo concluded from their changing positions that they revolved round Jupiter, as the moon revolves around the Earth. Some nights later, a fourth was discovered, and Galileo concluded from their changing positions that they revolved round Jupiter, as the moon revolves round the Earth, and the planets round the Sun. This confirmed the truth of the Copernican theory. Several people, as already mentioned in a previous chapter, refused to look into the telescope in case they might see the satellites and be convinced. Galileo discovered some time later that Venus exhibits phases similar to the Moon. Copernicus had said that Venus would show phases if his theory was correct. Once again, Galileo confirmed the truth of the Copernican system. He also examined the Moon and discovered that its surface was covered with mountains and craters. He found that the Sun had black spots on its surface, that Mars showed phases, greatly to the disgust of the Aristotelians. Galileo next discovered that the planet Saturn was elliptical in shape, but he could not explain the cause. It was not explained until Huygens took up the subject in 1656. Galileo left Padua in 1610 and went to Florence with the title of mathematician and philosopher to the Grand Duke of Tuscany. In leaving Padua, he made a great blunder in transferring himself from the Free Republic of Venice to Tuscany, where the Church of Rome was all-powerful. At length, Galileo's ideas about the universe, now widely known, were pronounced to be opposed to the Bible. In 1615, he went to Rome and continued to teach the Copernican theory. For this, he was summoned before the Inquisition, and the Copernican system was condemned. Pope Paul V warned Galileo not to teach the new system as if it were true. After Paul V was dead, in 1623, Cardinal Barberini was elected Pope as Urban VIII. The Pope had been, while still a cardinal, a great friend and admirer of Galileo, and the astronomer therefore considered that he was now at liberty to teach the Copernican theory. He prepared to write his work, The Dialogue of the Two Principal Systems of the World, the Ptolemaic and Copernican. It was written in the form of conversations between three men. Galileo was very careful, and by writing it in the form of conversation, which did not indicate the views of the author, he obtained permission from the Pope and the Inquisition to have his work published. The book was given to the world in June 1632. Presently, however, the Church of Rome regretted having allowed the publication. One of the characters in the dialogue was named Simplicius, and it was he who upheld the Ptolemaic system. Some ignorant priests represented to the Pope that Simplicius was meant to represent himself and hold him up to ridicule. Orders were then given for the seizure of every copy of the book 
which was condemned as heretical. The Pope ordered Galileo to appear before the Inquisition at Rome. Being 69 years of age, he begged to be excused from the journey. But Urban, acting in much the same hard-hearted manner as the King of Denmark had acted towards Tycho Brahe, was enraged and said that the command must not be disobeyed. In February 1633, Galileo arrived in Rome and four months later was tried before the Inquisition for teaching the Copernican system. On June 22nd, he was compelled to kneel before the cardinals of the Roman Church and with threats of death was ordered to declare that he would in future detest the false opinion that the sun was the center of the universe and that the earth moved. Rising from his knees, tradition says he whispered to one standing near him, E pur si mueve, for all this it does move. Galileo was sentenced to be imprisoned as long as Pope Urban desired. His health, however, suffered from the intense heat at Rome, and he was allowed to return to his house at Arcetri near Florence, in which he was commanded to remain in everlasting solitude. At last came the tragedy at the end of his life. His sight began to fail, and in the end of 1637, he became totally blind. On January 2, 1638, he wrote thus to a friend, Alas, your dear friend and servant Galileo has been for the last month perfectly blind, so that this heaven, this earth, this universe, which with wonderful observations I had enlarged a hundred, a thousand times, beyond the belief of bygone ages, henceforth for me is shrunk into the narrow space which I myself fill in it. So it pleases God, it shall therefore please me also. Galileo died at Arcetri on January 8, 1642, aged 77, having been blind for four years. Even after he was dead, the Pope would not allow a monument to be erected to his memory. Still, despite the foolish attempt to crush the Copernican system, Galileo, though he died in misery, was in the end triumphant. While Galileo was confirming the Copernican theory by observation, another great man was confirming it by mathematics. By means of difficult calculations, he made discoveries as brilliant as Galileo made with a telescope, and his calculations, which were based on Tycho Brahe's observations at Uraniaborg, finally led to Newton's discovery of universal gravitation. The name of this man was Johann Kepler. He was born at Wilderstadt in the Duchy of Württemberg in Germany in 1571, and was thus the first of those great German astronomers to whom science has owed so much. Kepler was the son of a soldier, and his grandfather was the burgomaster of Wilderstadt. Kepler, who was always in very poor circumstances, was educated at the School of Melbronn, which was preparatory to the University of Tübingen. At length, when he was 17 years of age, he entered the University of Tübingen and learned from Maistlin, the professor of mathematics there, that the Copernican theory was the true one. When Kepler left the university, he was without means and had no prospect of employment. Shortly afterwards, however, the professorship of astronomy at Graz fell vacant through the death of the professor, and Kepler, who as yet had no special inclination for astronomy, was offered it and urged by his friends to accept it, which he did with considerable reluctance. He was then 23 years of age. It was while he was at Graz that Kepler hit upon a theory which, though long since discarded, was very ingenious. 
he considered that the five regular solid figures known to mathematicians corresponded with the five planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. The idea was a daring one, but is now absolutely useless. All the same, it made Kepler prominent in the world of science. He wrote a book advocating it, and by means of this book, he became known to Tycho Brahe and Galileo. As the inhabitants of the Graz were chiefly Roman Catholics, all the Protestant professors were expelled in 1599, Kepler among them. But he had now become a famous man of science, and he was restored to his position. However, he had no pupils, and he was glad in 1600 to accept the post of assistant to Tycho Brahe near Prague. When Tycho Brahe was dying in 1601, he requested Kepler to use his observations, which had been collected at Uraniaborg from 1577 to 1597. Believing that by means of these observations, the true system of the universe would at last be revealed. After Tycho's death, Kepler was appointed to succeed him as imperial mathematician to Emperor Rudolf. He was promised a handsome salary in his new post, but it was never paid. Tycho expressed the wish that the observations might be continued after his death, but this wish was not to be fulfilled. Kepler, faithful to the last wishes of the Danish astronomer, commenced to observe Mars with the great telescopes which Tycho had brought from Uraniaborg. In 1602, however, Tycho's son-in-law, Tenegel, who pretended to be interested in astronomy and was jealous of Kepler, deprived him of the instruments and promised the Emperor Rudolf that the planetary tables would be finished within four years. Kepler never saw the instruments again, as they were stored away in an old vault, and they were probably destroyed in the Bohemian Rebellion of 1619. As to the observations of Tycho, Kepler at last got to access them, and Tignagel soon abandoned the idea of working at the Rudolphine tables, which now occupied the attention of Kepler. As has been already mentioned, Kepler's promised salary was never paid and for years he was, as he himself remarked, begging his bread from the emperor. Owing to his poverty, he was unable to publish the Rudolphine tables for about 20 years. Sometime after the death of Tycho, Kepler published a book on comets. In 1609, he published Commentaries on the Motions of Mars, the work which contained the first of the three laws of planetary motion which showed that the planets revolved round the sun in elliptical orbits. Kepler could not reconcile the observations of Tycho with the theory of circular orbits. There was not a very large difference, and many men would have accounted for the differences by the supposition that Tycho had made a mistake, and would thus have lost the chance of making a great discovery. But Kepler knew Tycho Brahe, and he was certain that the great astronomer could not have made so large an error. Kepler's second law was published in a few years after the first. The irregularities in the motions of the planets were now accounted for, and the great laws of Kepler removed the difficulties which stood in the way of the acceptance of the Copernican system, and confirmed it as conclusively as did the telescopic observations of Galileo. The observations of Tycho Brahe confirmed the system of Copernicus, which he himself had rejected. Kepler was still in extremely poor circumstances, and accordingly he asked the emperor to pay his salary. Rudolf ordered it to be paid, but the Bohemian exchequer was empty.
1610, the year of Galileo's great telescopic discoveries, Kepler suffered almost every sorrow imaginable. He was in great poverty. The Austrian troops occupied Prague. His wife died, and his favorite son also died. He went to Austria to secure a professorship at Linz, but Rudolf would not allow him to leave Prague, and promised to pay his salary, but again failed to keep his promise. At this time Kepler was in such extreme poverty that he was compelled to write what he called a vile prophesying almanac, filled with astrology in which he did not believe. It has been pointed out as remarkable that the world would not give him bread for his astronomical discoveries, but it would give him money for what he knew to be lies. Rudolf died in 1612 and the new emperor Matthias, his brother, allowed the astronomer to accept the professorship at Linz and asked him also to retain the position at Prague. During all his misfortunes, Kepler exhibited a beautiful nature. In January 1610, the satellites of Jupiter were discovered by Galileo. Kepler was the only man who accepted the discovery without hesitation, even though it ran counter to his ideas of the five regular solids. He welcomed the news of his friend's success. A follower of Kepler attacked Galileo, accusing him of having plagiarized some of the former's discoveries, for which Kepler compelled the man to apologize to the Italian astronomer. Another instance of his fine nature can be given. One of his rejected theories, writes one of his biographers, assumed a new planet between Mars and Jupiter. Kepler was afraid that this might be mistaken by a careless reader to be an anticipation of Galileo's discovery of the satellites of Jupiter. And so, in a subsequent edition of his work, The Five Regular Solids, published in 1621, he adds a note referring to his supposed planet. Not circulating round Jupiter like the median stars, be not deceived. I never had them in my thoughts. Before leaving this subject, it may be noted that Kepler's prediction of a planet between Mars and Jupiter was, as we have seen, confirmed by the discovery of the early asteroids by Piazzi and Aubert's a hundred years ago. Kepler was soon expelled from Linz on account of his Protestantism. He refused in 1617 to accept a professorship at Bologna with a large salary. In 1619, he published his third law in a work entitled The Harmonies of the World, dedicated to King James VI of Scotland. The discovery of this law was the aim of his life. In 1622, he wrote Epitome of the Copernican Astronomy, defining the Copernican system. The book was at once prohibited by the Church of Rome. At last, in 1621, the Rudolphine Tables, the result of the labors of Tycho Brahe, were published, and in recognition of this work and of his services to astronomy, Kepler received a gold chain from the Grand Duke of Tuscany. In 1620, a proposal was made to Kepler that he should leave Germany and go to England, but he declined to leave his native country. When Kepler was 57 years of age, he received an offer to live under the protection of the Duke of Friedland. A professorship at Rostock was also given to the great astronomer, and his future career seemed hopeful. Before leaving Bohemia, however, he made a journey to Ratisbon to procure the salary which had never been paid to him. But anxiety about the payment of his money proved too much for him. His health, always delicate, gave way. 
and while at Ratisbon he was seized with illness and died in 1630. He was buried in St. Peter's Church in Ratisbon, where a hundred years ago a great statue was erected to his memory. The last of the great astronomers before Newton was Huygens, the Dutch scientist. Huygens was born at The Hague in 1629. He was the second son of the Dutch poet, Constantine Huygens, counselor to the Prince of Orange. When he was 13 years of age, Huygens began to take much interest in mathematical studies and examined every piece of machinery he could lay hold of. He was educated at the University of Leiden and was, like Tycho Brahe, intended to study law, for which he was sent to Breda. But the bent of his mind was towards science, and when he was 24 years of age, he wrote some treatises on geometry, studying that subject until 1651, when he devoted himself to observational astronomy. Since the death of Galileo, the founder of telescopic observation, there had been little improvement in the making of telescopes, and no further discoveries had been made in the celestial regions. The mystery of Saturn, which puzzled Galileo, remained a mystery. Nothing was known regarding nebulae, while, with the exception of Galileo's discoveries of the Martian phases and a few observations by Fontana at Naples in 1636 and 1638, the study of the planet Mars had not yet been begun. In fact, until Huygens arrived upon the scene, telescopic observation remained a standstill. In 1655, Huygens, with the help of his brother, set about telescope making. By a new method, he ground and polished lenses, which were much more powerful and much more perfect than those used by Galileo. Huygens then commenced to observe the planet Saturn in order to solve the mystery of its elliptical appearance. As mentioned in a previous chapter, the famous ring of Saturn was detected by Huygens. He was also the first to study nebulae. On June 16, 1659, he presented the first pendulum clock to the States General of Holland, the invention being the result of accurate astronomical observations. Huygens, in 1660, visited England, where he solved some problems in mathematics. He left Holland in 1665 and settled in Paris at the invitation of Louis XIV. In France, he devoted himself to other researches beside astronomy and mathematics. Like his illustrious contemporary Newton, he speculated in chemistry and discovered the true nature of light, which perhaps forms the boundary line between astronomy and chemistry. He found that light travels through space in the form of waves, a view which did not command universal acceptance until about a hundred years ago when it was revived and established. Huygens remained in Paris until 1681, when the persecution of the Protestants compelled him to return to Holland. Here he continued his astronomical observations. He constructed telescopes of enormous length, known as aerial telescopes, and three of his object glasses are still in the possession of the Royal Society. He invented an almost perfect eyepiece, known as the Huygenian eyepiece, which is still extensively used. It is also interesting to know that Huygens was one of the strongest supporters of the theory of life on other worlds. In his work, Cosmotheros, published at The Hague in 1698, shortly after his death, he speculated regarding the possible inhabitants of the planets and brought forward arguments in favor of the plurality of the worlds. 
Unfortunately, Huygens did not accept Newton's view that gravitation was universal, although he admitted that it regulated the movements of the planets. It was with considerable difficulty that he could accept the views of others. But it has been pointed out that this was not due to an unwillingness to acknowledge the merits of his contemporaries. He was unable to depart from his own methods. It may be noted that Newton rejected two of Huygens' theories, one of these being the nature of light. Huygens died at The Hague in 1695 at the age of 66. His career closed an epoch in astronomy, which prepared the way for the work of the mightiest intellect which has ever applied itself to the problems of the heavens. End of chapter 30